Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a special quick hit episode of Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. Uh, I don't script these out. Uh, these are uh, uh, all improvised. I have an idea. I sit down at my computer, I press record, and I talk about the idea as if I'm really processing um, what I'm thinking in real time uh, because I'm learning as I go uh, every day. Uh, at Pro Football Network, I'm putting in the time uh, and I'm getting paid to put in the time. I feel very fortunate to have a career where I get to uh, earn a salary for trying to become the best fantasy football uh, analyst in the world, which sounds incredibly arrogant. But those who know me, and some of you do, um, at least you know me from my writings uh, over the past decade. Uh, you know that on the one hand, I don't take myself overly seriously. On the other hand, I take my work very seriously. I think there is a way to be the best fantasy football analyst in the world. And I think it starts uh, and ends with preparation and uh, uh, putting in the time to get smarter than your opponents. Get smarter than your peers. Um, and smarter doesn't mean that I watch a video of Jonathan Taylor uh, breaking through a line in college and going, this guy is the best running back in the world because I just saw what he did. Uh, if that were the case, Reggie Bush would have had um, a Hall of Fame NFL career because when he came out of college, he was a can't-miss prospect. If that was the case, Saquon Barkley uh, his career stats as the former overall number two draft pick wouldn't be almost exactly the same as former undrafted free agent Philip Lindsay's Philip Lindsay's career stats. Um, they are nearly identical. Now, through no fault of of Saquon Barkley, he's been hurt a lot, but also through no fault of Philip Lindsay, who has started one game in the last you know maybe season and a half. Um, it's not to say that Lindsay is better than Barkley. It's just to say that uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we have hunches, um, but hunches, I think, are uh, for <laughs> hunches are reserved for those who aren't getting paid to put in the work like I am and like others are. Hunches is for those who compete in a fantasy football league and are content to uh, go, uh, let luck dictate 
um, what happens a little bit more than maybe we'd want to if we had more time or had more interest. And that's okay. I'm not here to judge. Um, you know, some of you are uh, great at what you do, and I will never be as good at, at, at what you do. Um, but this is a fantasy football podcast, and I'm talking about fantasy football, and I'm talking today about the problem with hunches, the problem with looking at what somebody does on a on a college tape and saying, oh, they're automatically uh, number one, you know, dynasty pick. And then shooting down those who disagree um, with the arrogance of, of someone who can predict the future. And then when it's discovered that we're not right, um, we're not coming back three years later and saying, oh, I was completely wrong. Um, this person's not the best. Uh, we saw it happen with uh, Mohamed Sanu when he was traded to the Patriots. I remember the the incredible uh, Twitter barrage of uh, Sanu is going to be an incredible fantasy asset on the Patriots. Of course, Belichick knew what he was doing. He's brilliant. And nowhere in those conversations did I see anyone say, oh, the Falcons GM is also brilliant. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> Um, they understood what Sanu's limitations were as a number three receiver and that he couldn't necessarily be better than what we've seen. So they sold high. And at the end of the day, the Falcons won that deal, even though if you look back on Twitter, nearly everyone was saying the Patriots easily won that deal before it happened. I was uh, reading last night, um, I was doing a lot of fantasy research. There's some pretty cool research that I'm doing. I'm going to get into this in a second. Um, but in between doing fantasy research and watching uh, uh, some videos from uh, the Lonely Island folks, because I needed some inspiration and I like to laugh for inspiration. I think it, it helps center me. Um, I then shifted into something a little more serious uh, by reading about Gene Siskel. Siskel and Ebert, those of you who might remember, um, pretty much uh, uh, redefined uh, movie reviewing, um, started in the 1980s. Uh, maybe it was the late 70s they got together, but uh, essentially in the 80s on, on PBS and then maybe network television, but for a while PBS, they were the movie reviewers, the thumbs up, thumbs down guys. And they redefined uh, the format of movie reviews. And they argued uh, on camera, but they were also best friends in many respects. And the love they had for each other ran much deeper than any animosity they might have shown on camera. They had very different views of what movies were, whether they were good or bad, and they were both brilliant. Two brilliant people can think opposite things about a movie. Two brilliant people can think opposite things about a player. I read a quote last night from Roger Ebert in honor of his best friend. Gene Siskel. He was he he wrote this beautiful piece um, that I had never read. I've, I I know a fair amount about them just over the years and growing up watching the show uh, uh, as a kid. But Ebert said that uh, um, Gene Siskel once told him about betting and said, "There's only one rule: never play a hunch." And I really thought about that as I was doing my research. I'm doing. I've spent. I don't even want to admit how many hours, but again, I'm I'm earning a salary for doing this. So I'll say I've spent a lot of nights doing research that when it's unveiled later this year, I think will blow people away. Um, it was 
it was a hunch that I had of something that seemed to make sense, but I went into the research knowing I couldn't just spend 30 minutes to try to prove the hunch. I needed to spend dozens of hours to prove the hunch because if I spent dozens of hours and the hunch could be proven, I felt good about it. But if I spent dozens of hours and it couldn't be proven, well, that's just as valuable because now I know the hunch is wrong. And as I'm doing the research, I'm also seeing that there's aspects of the hunch that aren't true. Aspects involving the age of the player or the time of year that certain circumstances take place. Those things I've discovered actually don't have the impact I thought they did. But other aspects of the hunch hold true. They not only hold true, there is a linear correlation between X and Y. X being what I think will happen if Y happens. And then that just continues along this track. It is clear as day. It is um, uh, the fantasy equivalent of, of uh, an invention and maybe an invention that some people might find useful. I think a lot of people will find it useful and I can't wait to unveil it with Pro Football Network. But for now, the key takeaway is that two people who really know what they're talking about can think different things. The differentiator is how much preparation has gone into their belief. So two really smart people, one really smart person might say that Jalen Hurts, going back to my brief podcast yesterday, Jalen Hurts is a top five fantasy quarterback. And some other really smart person might say, here's why Jalen Hurts won't be a top 10 quarterback. And I think it's a mistake, obviously, to say one person is just wrong and the other person's right. Um, we know that. Right and wrong is what happens. Right and wrong is not what we think will happen. What we think will happen is a hunch or a probability if it's, if it's better than a hunch. What did happen, that's truth. So we're not dealing with truth until it happens. So all we can do is respect the fact that two people can have opposing views. But the point of uh, the view that I am drawn to is the view that is better supported. It's the view that is accompanied by the kind of research that isn't just haphazard, but is designed very meticulously to demonstrate some kind of historical connection with what has happened when players have done X, Y, Z in the past, and then what this player has done that relates to that so that we can then project the probability that this player will do the same thing. And the best example I can give of that is the big thing I unveiled uh, was two years ago um, after Christian McCaffrey's incredible season when I had this hunch that running backs who were overworked were at a high risk of regression the following season. And I sat down and I did, I put together all the, all the cells, all the columns, all the rows of every single running back who had ever had, I, I had two different levels. I had 350 plus touches and 400 plus touches. I wanted to see if that 400 plus really pushed it even further. And then looking at what they do, what they did the next season in terms of how many touches, how many games played, how many fantasy points, how many fantasy points per game. 
and this is every single player. I left out the uh, years where there was uh, strike and uh, the, the scab year um, because those were not representative because players could not possibly play the same number of games. So it, it really didn't add up. So two or three, and then there was, a, I think, an ex, uh, the, the year they went from 14 to 16 games. I think I didn't include that one. Every other year was included because it was a true apples to apples comparison. I left out Ricky Williams the year he had over 350 touches and then semi-retired that next year because that doesn't count. He doesn't get a zero for that. He retired. I left out Le'Veon Bell the two years when he was suspended for some games the year after getting 350 plus touches because he was suspended. He couldn't possibly, we couldn't see what he could actually do in a full season. So there are some things like that where we have to be smart about it. But everything else was all these rows and all these columns and, you know, the entire history of the NFL. And it showed incredible probability that Christian McCaffrey was going to regress. And I pushed it with my readers and I got a lot of pushback, including on Twitter. And the pushback was based on people's hunches. The hunches were, well, Christian McCaffrey is built differently. Believe it or not, that's what people said. He's been doing this since he was a kid. Same thing that people argued last summer about Derrick Henry when I pushed the exact same thing. Derrick Henry is a huge injury and or regression risk because of his volume. It's this percent likely based on all historical data. And what I got back were hunches. What I got back was Derrick Henry is built differently. He is big. He is strong. I've watched the tape, people would tell me. I've seen the tape. I've, I've watched him. This guy bowls over defenders. He's built differently. That's the difference, folks, between a hunch and a probability. I will always, always, always strive for probabilities. Hunches are, pardon my saying it, garbage. I have made hunches before. The difference is I keep them to myself until I can prove or disprove them. Or because we cannot entirely prove or disprove something when I can assign a probability to the hunch to validate whether or not it holds some kind of water in the fantasy space. Is this something I should share with an audience? Or is this just armchair psychology that is, uh, uh, it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I can't back it up. And I think if you want to be the best at something, and I'm not the best fantasy football analyst, I want to be. But if I want to be the best, if you want to be the best at something, you have to be the most prepared, the most thoughtful. You have to be looking at, in, in my case, I've got spreadsheets with tens of thousands of cells, tens of thousands. And I'm going through it and I'm slicing it a lot of different ways. And I'm trying to look for the patterns. And if the patterns don't exist, that's the probability. The probability is there is no probability that says one way or the other. And that in itself is helpful. That tells us that we do not yet have the information to be able to assess which direction is more is this player more likely to go in. And isn't that what we want in fantasy football? We want some sign from somewhere 
based hopefully on some element of truth. Even if the truth is in the past, it still helps inform the future. Even if it's not locked in, even if Philip Lindsay can have just as good a career as Saquon Barkley in their first four seasons, we know that seven times out of 10, eight times out of 10, if we were to do it all over again, number two overall draft pick will probably have a better career than your typical undrafted free agent. Not always, but a lot. We can we can probably do the research and figure out the probabilities, but we can't say it's fact before it happens. We can say it's highly probable. And I think what separates the good analysts from the great, the people who are good at what they do from great at what they do, is how much prep they go into it with, how much they're willing to acknowledge that they don't know what they don't know. And believe me, there's a lot I don't know. And I don't have enough time to even uncover the things that I really want to know. But it's all about trying to get closer to a more accurate assessment of future truth. And if we go into a season knowing that when we draft someone in the seventh round, there is a 70% chance that that person will outperform expectations, how many of us would turn that down and just say, nah, I don't care about 70%. I'd rather just roll the dice on a hunt. I'll leave you with this. Uh, it might seem like a non sequitur, but I think it's, I think it's telling. Terry Bradshaw, one of the great NFL quarterbacks from the seventies, four rings. Um, it's apples to oranges, some a different time, but I think it's important to to point this out. The first time that he threw more touchdown passes and interceptions was in his sixth NFL season. His career interception rate, interceptions per pass attempt, was 5.4%. By today's standards, he would uh, probably not be a third-string quarterback, although by today's standards, maybe he would... Um, you know, you can go through some alternate universe kind of uh, situation and say he would be a better quarterback if he threw a lot more than he did. He threw only about half as much as your typical quarterback today, sometimes only as, you know, yeah, about a, about half as much, I would say. Uh, maybe about 65 to 70 percent as much. Later in his career, he was throwing it close to Ryan Tannehill levels of of being a back end uh, you know, game manager kind of kind of uh, quarterback. Although I do think Ryan Tannehill will bounce back this year, but that's another story. 5.4% interception rate is awful. We celebrate Terry Bradshaw because of his four rings, because he was a great quarterback for the time. He was a winner. Statistically, Trevor Simeon, who can't find a, a starting job, um, is basically a third stringer maybe a backup if he's lucky, uh, has an interception rate that is uh, twice as good as Terry Bradshaw's and a much better touchdown-interception ratio. Again, apples to oranges. But we look at, we have these assumptions about players. We think we know what we know because we remember certain things about players. We remember certain things about stats. We remember things about watching some player in college and saying, 
oh, he's a can't-miss. He's a can't-miss receiver. And all I want to say is we just don't know. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw became one of the greatest quarterbacks of his, his generation despite not being a very good quarterback statistically. 5.4% interception rate is awful. Um, objectively, it is an awful stat. Terry Bradshaw was still an incredible quarterback. But we can't look at players uh, in black and white. We can't say you can't criticize Terry Bradshaw because we can. We can say that Terry Bradshaw was not as great as some people remember him being. On the field, he got it done. But statistically, he was nowhere close to many quarterbacks who came two, three, four years after him. And in the same way, in the fantasy world, we can't just say, this person's the number one pick. I don't care what anyone says. They're stupid for thinking otherwise. Because if you're wrong, does that make you stupid? No. But you might be wrong. And history shows that the truth is always right in the end. And we, if we're lucky, are 55, 60% right. So we need to go into fantasy prognostication analysis with the humility of knowing what we don't know and striving to uncover the things we need to uncover to get smarter and just push for those competitive advantages so that we know a little bit more about the truth than everyone else. Again, I'm BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.